you're listening to the GamesIndustry.biz podcast. I'm James Batchelor and I'm joined this week by... Matthew Handrahan. Brendan Sinclair. And Marie D'Alessandri. We're going to be talking about the biggest stories from the games industry over the past week. We've got two topics today, the first of which is Six Days in Fallujah, the controversial war shooter that is set in the Iraq war, uh, developed by now developed by Victoria and Highwire Games. This puts you in the shoes of US servicemen and Marines uh, as they attempt to take back Fallujah from insurgents. Uh, we ran an interview with Peter Tamty, the CEO of Victoria, which is the game's publisher. Peter Tamty previously was a CEO of Atomic Games, which was the original developer. The reason this game is interesting, there are many, many reasons why this game is interesting, and interesting is, is far too polite a term for it. And this game was dropped by its own publisher back in 2009, shortly after it was first announced, and has now resurfaced with the promise of it coming out this year. Um, there is a lot to unpack with this game. Uh, well, as I say, we've run an interview on the on the site, which hopefully people have read. And I'll be one hundred percent honest; I don't even know where to start with this one. Um, I could maybe offer a place to start um, because I was uh, writing. I was the feature editor on a consumer magazine called Games TM, which no longer exists, but it definitely existed back then um, when the game first surfaced in two thousand and nine, and it's odd. It's odd because this is actually the third time that this game has uh, inspired the sorts of conversations we've seen taking place over the last week. Um, it was 2009 when it first came out. I think it resurfaced maybe three years later or something, four years later, um, and then went away again, and now it's back again. So it's been long running, and it's, it's especially strange because the conversations aren't just similar. They are the same. Um, what the way we covered it all the way back in 2009 was I found um, an investigative reporter who was at the Battle of Fallujah and talked to him about what it was like and then talked to him about the the reality of trying of trying to turn that into a video a combat based video game and he was utterly horrified by the idea uh, not least because um, to everyone well I, I, I it's hard to say this but the U.S. military's view of the siege of Fallujah is very different to potentially what, what I think you could possibly say is the objective reality of the siege of Fallujah, which involved war crimes perpetrated by the U.S. military, the use of white phosphorus um, uh, as a weapon in general, not the U.S. military's finest hour. Um, and, and that was clearly apparent and it didn't really take very much digging to kind of expose that that was the case and that was really why the game was dropped it was i mean you know we, we often uh, the press in particular often wants games to tackle difficult subject matter or but like difficult subject matter demands uh, sensitive treatment and it, it this really seems like a subject that you can't treat uh, without giving equal consideration to both perspectives which is to say the the perspective of the people under siege and the perspective of the people see uh, like laying siege and and potentially you know well you know i'd say there's a strong argument for the fact that the people laying siege is the perspective that at least needs to be out there because that's the one that we got at the time so we are having this exact conversation for the third time in 10 years and i the thing that's a bothers me is why and maybe this is where we can move on to the current one it's like why is this still why does someone still want to make this thing uh that that's part i just don't get like it's it's stumbled twice before for very very good reasons and it's received exactly the same response and i can't say that american militarism has has got a better reputation over the last 10 years so what, what exactly is it that they think has changed that would would open up a space for this you know this this game to come out and not not be pulled apart in this way not not be um pilloried in this fashion so puzzling the the one thing from that entire interview that sort of rang true for me (laughs) that i that i read and i didn't instantly think of like oh well you know here's here's the snarky interpretation of, of what he said um, was was when he talked about like we we talked to soldiers who were there and Marines and we their their stories really touched us and we we felt that we really wanted to tell them and I will I will take him at his word for that um, because I, I don't think that you 
bring up a project like that this many times over this many years over this many objections unless you feel like there's something there that you know is compelling you uh to do this but i mean that that's that's part of the the problem for me though is that he's he's talking about these stories that are specific to soldiers that were at the the battle of fallujah and if you want to if you want to tell a story that's sort of like trying to get people to empathize with the soldier's experience, there are so many settings that you could put that in. You know, if, if you want to, if you want to tell a story, just like get people to realize like, oh, wow, it's really tough if you're there in a life and death situation and there's this person and maybe they're a threat to you or maybe they're just a harmless civilian and you've got to make a call and oh no that's really tough like you can do that without without choosing like the bloodiest battle in in unjust war where atrocities were committed like cuz cuz when you when you leave all that stuff out of the story you you're really kind of um it he says he wants in the interview he says he wants to tell the whole story and provide context like context like what tactical decisions kind of led to this you know this battle being a a critical point in in the war not context is like what are we doing here sarge uh is is this justified at all no or the context of the people who got caught in the middle of it all. I mean, this is this is the thing that the odd thing about um, where uh, where they're coming from on this is the 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 the, the story in which the U.S. military is are the ones being you know that where we see it from the perspective of the U.S. military is the one we already have. Like this isn't it's untold in in insofar as the specific testimonies of individual soldiers has never been used for a game before but but actually that the 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 narrative that we don't have is the counter narrative of, of what it of what it looks like from the other side i it it's not only yeah as you say rightly i'm very rightly that that there are other battles that you could have could have done this sort of more sensitive human portrayal of and, and not run into all of these problems but it's also just it's not the untold story of that battle and it it shows a uh, on top of everything else it shows a, a sort of a lack of imagination there i i don't i mean to be clear i, I don't know i i have my questions about the the sort of the commercial um instincts behind pushing forward with this project i mean i 10 15 years as a journalist makes you a little bit cynical about the motivations of people that make games but i i having sat read and listened to and and watched so many conversations around this one game spread over more than a decade i can't help but think well, is it is it just in a situation now where all press is good press and the notoriety of this game means that it will have it will have an audience because why keep on beating your head against this same wall uh i, I don't actually know to be honest I, I don't actually know if the people involved with it now were involved with both of the previous attempts but they must be aware of how it went before and this is just no different it's but i, I mean i would say that the the clamor is 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 larger now because in 2009 the internet was not the way the internet is now twitter barely existed so on and so forth there, there was not the same pitch of outcry just because it wasn't possible to get that level of response out there but, but so i think it probably feels bigger now but it was it was no less obvious back then I, I wasn't actually familiar with the game and the original controversy at all until until this re-emerged um, last week and like from almost from almost like an insider's perspective, I am just absolutely baffled and shocked uh, by by the developer now and and the thing they're saying. And it, it's just a bit crazy to me that you would have your game abandoned by your publisher for the reasons it did, and still come back ten years later, having learned nothing. I'd like I like to think that the games industry has changed in the past ten years. Hopefully, it has changed. And like this is all so tone deaf and like. That made me think, uh, like when we did GI 100, we, we talked to uh, the developer of Through the Darkest of Times, uh, which is a story of civilian resistance 
um, against Nazi Germany. And when we did uh, the interview with the developer, whose name is Jörg Friedrich, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, um, so about, about his work on this game, he, he gave us this quote, which is, if you think mentioning the historical crimes of the Nazis is inappropriate for your game, maybe picking Nazis as a factional theme for your game is what is inappropriate here. And I think it's exactly the same for Six Days in Fallujah. Like, if you think it's not okay to mention, like, um, chemical weapons, war crimes, and human rights abuses in your game, because that's, like, you think that's not fine for what you want to do because it's not political. Maybe you shouldn't be making this game at all. Like, it's making me so angry. It's like, of course, war is political. Like, this whole thing is just completely baffling to me, and I've been so angry about it this whole week. And, like, I don't know. Directors who make films about war zones are never being asked if their film is political because, of course, it is. Like, that's not even a question. War is political. And it's just, ugh, I don't know. It's just making me angry. I'm so angry again. It's just... I can't. The problem is we've reached the stage where there is nothing stopping this game coming out. Like, certainly, I, I wasn't aware of the, the, the previous conversation, but certainly the original conversation in 2009, it was calling for it to be banned, calling for this game to not exist. And lo and behold, the publisher dropped it. And at that time, without a publisher, you cannot release a game. And Tamti told me he did talk to a bunch of other publishers and attempted to try and get this, this through, and all those discussions kind of fell apart for now what seemed to be fairly obvious reasons. Um... But now, obviously, he can, he, he's set up um, Victoria, which is this company that can self-publish. Like he, there, he, you are able. There are no barriers to getting this game out. And I'm not saying there should be barriers to getting games out. I should there, there should be a lot more thought as to which game you are getting out, what it is about your game you're trying to get out. I having the conversation with him. I'm not going to say it all sounded reasonable because that would be a lie, but I can see where he thinks he's coming from, and I do. I do understand the notion of trying to get out a documentary-style game about being in war. I, you know, I can see the, the, the premise of that. I can see the appeal of that. Like, um, you look at the trailer, and there are voiceover clips and video clips of the soldiers who were in this battle, and those are going to be present in the game. It is going to be very much presented from what Tamti tells me. It is going to be presented in a documentary style, and that style is not an issue, I don't think. But as U Brendan, US, US and Iraqi soldiers, or just the US? Soldiers? Just US soldiers. This is the issue. It's just so the US so then soldiers. It's not a documentary, then, is it? No. It's his propaganda. No, it's propaganda. There, there are going to be, uh, allegedly, there are, where well, he claims there are also um, voices and video clips from um, Iraqi civilians who were caught in it, because there is this whole section, or there are sections apparently where you play an Iraqi civilian trying to get out of the um out, out of the city in the middle caught in the middle of the conflict trying to get your your family out and I you know I, I said to her like, well why not make that game why not make like focus primarily on that um and his answer which we'll get into a little bit later is just like honestly this answer yeah. is baffling right. I can't even imagine like how did he say this let's whatever say it sorry I shut up <laughs> well there's 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 an element of truth to it, perhaps, but where we're, where we're, where we're. very few people are curious what it's like to be an Iraqi civilian. Nobody's going to play that game, but people are curious what it's like to be in combat. It's the same reason we play, uh, we the same reason people play survival horror games, being in a situation that is beyond what we have in our normal lives. Ultimately, the reason why people are going to play this game is because they want a more realistic combat experience. That, above all else, is the experience we must deliver. Now, there's a lot to unpack there. I will, I will. There's not a lot to unpack. No, there's not a lot to unpack. That's an odious and irresponsible answer that he gave. It is. I he, can't claim, he, can't claim, he can't claim to want to make a documentary in the form of a video game and then effectively talk like he, it's a marketing exercise into provide, giving the people what they want. Yeah. That's bullshit. No, that's fair. That's Those fair. are two completely opposite ideas. He wants to have his cake and eat it. Is you were either wanting to show people the reality of a battle the way they've never seen it before or you just want to give them the thing that they know that they already want. It's not both. It can't be both. And the fact of the matter is, in that battle, I mean, these are, it's always possible, and particularly when, you know, in, in <clears throat> getting accurate figures of casualties is difficult, but it seems like somewhere between five to ten times more civilians lost their lives than soldiers in that battle. The story of that battle is not the story of the soldiers. It's, not, it's just one part of that battle. So just to really tell the story of one fighting force in a battle in which the largest amount of casualties... I mean, look, so... Think about uh, This War of Mine, 11-bits game. The reason why that was such an interesting game, such a powerful game, was because it looked at it from the civilian point of view. We have seen the realistic war games. Like, the idea that that is something that hasn't been done, I, 
it's disingenuous at best. Uh, but, but, the pro- but, the, but the issue is this, that I'm pretty sure that he is sincere insofar as he genuinely thinks he has this idea that has not been seen before, not given to the public before. I just don't think that that is the case. I mean, he may believe it, but I think we've had that kind of game over and over and over and over and over again. That's the only kind of war game we've ever had, which is a war game that is seen purely from one side, not from the civilian perspective. And as Brendan rightly pointed out, this is a really problematic battle in a really problematic war. It's not, it's not the Allies versus the Nazis. This is different. This was a war that many people think was illegal at its root. I, I mean, it demands, I, I would say that those circumstances, in much the same way, actually, that the, if you look at the films made about Vietnam and the films made about World War II, you will see a completely different way of understanding what those wars were. It's not, the, the Vietnam War movies in general are not jingoistic, they question the war, they pull it apart, they, they show it from the other side, because it wasn't this like black and white situation. Now, we're obviously talking about a game that does not yet exist. The thing is, though, that, that we are kind of going on what, what the people making the game are saying about it. And, and it does not sound promising. It doesn't sound like they're approaching it for, with a mindset that would allow them to make this new and more realistic way of depicting what is an extremely complicated ethical situation. Um, that if you if you really are focusing primarily on the the the, the testimonies of you know difficult to use the word aggressors when it comes to a war, but the but the you know the the, the invading force you. That's enormously dangerous territory. And then, and then to do it and say, but it's not political and we don't want to deal with all of these important aspects of the context. I mean, it, it robs it of any legitimacy. Yeah, sure. Video games have been trying to put people in the shoes of the soldier and get them to understand what a soldier goes through. Um, like they've been trying to make the Saving Private Ryan of video games since Saving Private Ryan came out. The original Medal of Honor was was supposed to be like it was it was hyped and promoted as as that that kind of thing like wow this is really gonna you know get you to understand what it was like uh d-day and beaches in normandy and and like you play it and it's like okay well it's just it's a shooter and it's a it's a theme park ride and it's you know super fun and all that and we have been we have been promised that this would be the war game that really kind of pulls it apart so many times over so many years. And it almost never even makes an honest attempt at it that like I, I am when people make that argument now, I am just pretty much dead to it. Like spec ops. The line is the one game that people constantly bring up is like, wow, they really did it right. And, and I'll, I'll certainly say that they did it better. Um, I, I still, I still was kind of, uh, bothered by that game just sort of on a, you know, people talk about ludonarrative dissonance, but you know, if, if you have a game about war is hell and that is, that is literally like the, the top line spoiler of spec ops, the line, um, you you can't focus on making the the moment to moment shooty bang bang stuff super fun. You can't make it a a you know triple A commercial product where you you know pre order to get a few extra shiny rifles or whatever. Like these these things are they're they're so uh, they run against each other so deeply and so thoroughly that I that I have kind of lost faith in anyone promising to finally make it work really and truly it comes back to what matt was saying about commercial expectations like he didn't attempt didn't say as much i have to confess i didn't ask as much because it is very clear from the 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 marketing alone that this is billed as a triple a shooter the aim will be to sell as many copies as possible and what sells is 
those you know minute to minute mechanics of shooty shooty bang bang call of duty has been the biggest selling game in the us for 12 years running that is the market that tamti is based in and is almost certainly targeting and absolutely like things like um through the darkest of times and this war of mine have been successful in their, their own way this war of mine sold 4.5 million copies but that's not on the scale of call of duty and you cannot cannot escape the feeling that tamti is aiming for that kind of call of duty style audience and scope and that audience wants this you know fun hey i'm a soldier i'm gonna take down the terrorists kind of experience and that's not what this game should be if this game should even be anything at all the gamer ran an interview um kind of reacting to our interview with um a veteran that was in fallujah and i highly recommend everyone reading it um because they're reacting directly to um, the uh, Iraqi civilians' perspective quotes that um, Tamati gave us, for instance, um, and is getting quite angry about it, rightly so. And also the, the, the feature points out the difficulty for entertainment, and that's not only games, but games in particular, to cast soldiers, US soldiers, as the bad guys. And I think that's really the issue here, is like when reading the interview Tamati gave us, it sounds obvious to me that he can't see the US soldiers that were in that battle as anything else but people having showing courage and sacrifice. And they certainly did. That is not what I'm arguing against here. But you can still you can show courage and sacrifice while still being there for the wrong reasons and while still being atrocious in some of the things you do as well. And like there is space for nuance. There could be nuance here, except they decided to only want to show the courage and the sacrifice. And that's What's just terrible here, I guess, because like they, in an interview, he actually like acknowledged that uh, the war in, in Iraq should have never happened, but they chose to focus on something else. And I think that's just a massive failure to acknowledge such an important thing and to just decide to make something else, because you can still acknowledge this and have something that is impactful. You can like show the reality of the of what that war was and what 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 that battle was like you can you can actually show the reality of it and they decided to not do that and that's just a massive failure yeah i mean i'm to be honest i've always been a little on the fence of whether video games can actually tackle stuff like this or even i would like to i know yeah i i mean but, but mainly because i mean the reality of, of video games is that the mechanically a lot of them function pretty much broadly the same as they did, you know, 20 years ago, right? A, a shooter still controls much like a shooter. And one thing that I think game designers do struggle with is how to build um, uh, empathy or, um, you know, uh, contradictory feelings, ambiguity into a game where you actually have to be making decisions constantly and doing stuff constantly. Like, I, I feel like... Uh, a good example, you know, so if you think back to like Call of Duty Modern Warfare, there's a couple of famous moments in there, like one where you're sort of dispassionately bombing people from above on like a grey and white sort of like radar type screen while the, the voiceover is, is making kind of callous comments behind it. Um, there's another one where you get caught up in a massive explosion and you control the soldier just before he's like, I mean, this is this kind of heavy handed stuff is about as subtle as video games on the, of this kind have ever really been on this subject. And I feel like on some level that it's just <clears throat> I, I, agree, I agree with you, Marie, like you can definitely can make an attempt for nuance. I, I struggle to imagine a game that could ever properly um, capture what happened uh, in a battle like the one in Fallujah. Um, can properly capture uh, capture a battle where civilian casualties outweigh military casualties by ten to one. Can properly capture uh, what happened in a battle where white phosphorus was was illegally used as a weapon against the enemy. Um, can properly capture a battle in which, based on my readings that I did after after the the, the news that this game was coming out again, in which um, birth defects um, have been reported in the area for years and years afterwards because of the nature of the... I mean, what, um, if, 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 uh, if Peter Tampter can listen to this and feel like listening to the testimonies of soldiers from one side and maybe some civilians as well, I don't know how much the civilians play a part in it, but he really thinks that that can capture and give you a documentary view of what this battle was like, I, 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 I don't have a kind word to say about that. 
as soon as you try and tackle a subject like this, you undermine any message you are trying to, to say, anything, any trying to perspective you're trying to give, you undermine that instantly when the moment you put a gun in players' hands. Because as soon as you do that, it becomes space invaders. It becomes make the other things disappear. And regardless of any kind of context or wrapping or presentation around that, you can have testimonies from you know Marines and soldiers from both sides, but instantly in that moment, it becomes about you need to make the other things dead and that is not that that clashes with any kind of message you're trying to, to send any kind of perspective or understanding you're trying to create any empathy you're trying to create the moment you're enabling players and encouraging or even compelling players to kill other things it's gone that moment is gone well, yeah yeah i mean it, it it allows the player to completely um trample all over anything you might have been trying to say i mean i i remember i mean we're getting a little bit esoteric here but remember an interview i think i believe it was with chris hecker who is a designer of a game called spy party and, and worked at um, maxis on spore and various other. i mean he's a very very smart guy a uh, smart programmer and designer and, and thinks very hard about it. and he was asked about I believe it was him, so apologies, but I think it's a smart point, so maybe you won't mind me attributing to him anyway. But he was asked why violence is such a, is like kind of the language of video games, of so many video games. And he said that it's just, it is rooted in the earliest days where, you know, in, in the very first video games, the easiest thing that you can do in a, in a binary system where things are a one or a zero is for something to either be visible or invisible. So you click on something, it disappears. That's like the easiest thing you can do as a programmer. And actually... Video games, a lot of genres, still fundamentally revolve around that. And I would say that if you want to tell a story of a battle like this, a shooter is a really bad genre to do it in. And that there are, there are better forms that you can, you can use to explore this if you are genuinely serious about exploring it. But I think in general, like you get into this, uh, this area of like, is it ever really truly responsible to depict a real-life war in a video game? And I think there's a good argument to say no. We've had plenty of it, and actually I think one of the reasons why World War II is such an appealing war to depict in video games is because it's one of the few wars where you can say there are some bad guys over there and you not be completely ridiculous. But even then, to your point, Marie, even people fighting on the side of the Nazis, there were still just normal people involved, even in that. There were still people just acting because they had no other choice, right? So even in there, there's humanity in the enemy. And video games actually have tried to depict that humanity um, more and more over the years. But I guess if, if we had to wait, however, however, whatever the stretch of time between the first ever World War II video game and, and the ones where you actually played from the, I don't know, like Call of Duty World of War, where you played some levels from the perspective of the Japanese. I mean, that's a long, a long time it took. And, and to me, it just feels like not enough time has elapsed between the Battle of Fallujah and, and this video game to come out for it to feel like anything other than, than slightly uh, flippant and irresponsible. I don't know. I mean, it, it's, it's odd because there'll be plenty of people working on this game who who do or don't have a say in in these kinds of directions. But it's really hard to be charitable about it and all the harder to be charitable when they come out and say they don't want to they don't want it to be political and distance themselves from things that it would really have to be if it was going to be in any way responsible or worthy or or yeah difficult i don't think we're ever going to get away from that while the developers of the biggest war games are based in america battle of honor as uh, a battlefield medal of honor call of duty six days in fallujah not saying not not putting battlefield that on the same. is battlefield's dice, dice. Battlefield's yeah. dice. okay but but it's owned by an American company, is what I mean. Like I, I just the the American perspective, or a lot of Americans' perspective on the military, on you know U.S. soldiers as these heroes who go out into the wars of you know across the world and liberate the world, you know liberate the people from whatever evils are out there. Like regardless of the context of of anything that has has happened, like that is just an attitude that I don't see going away. Every Call of Duty, I haven't played many Call of Duties, but but any I have played have basically stemmed down to, and to quote the number of people paraphrasing uh, Team America in my mentions over the past week, America, fuck yeah. That is the underlining message of any war game I have played so far, because they are usually developed or certainly owned by American companies and appealing to an American audience. And until we get away from that, I don't know what alternates we'll see. Well, I think that's fundamentally like what uh, Tamta was saying when he said nobody wants. Uh, I, 
and I, I hate saying this because I, I find this quote to be utterly offensive. Nobody wants to know what it was like to be an Iraqi civilian in this battle. I mean, I, I think that that's really unpleasant way to look at this. Um, but people do want to know what it was like to be a soldier. And that's marketing, isn't it? That's, he, he, I don't think he, he intends it to sound like marketing, but it's like we have an audience of people that will want to play as an American soldier. If we depict the experience of the people caught up in this, we don't have that same audience anymore. I mean, that, that's, it's actually like quite a big and complicated subject that we've touched upon there, because that's really about, you know, whether they're, you know, whether you can make a video game that kind of realistically depicts a war, a real life war, in a truly documentary fashion that really digs into the ambiguities of it and to the, the hypocrisy and lies of it um, on the kind of budget that would allow you to do it and, and it and it not be completely economically inviable. In in a way that, for example, you know, a documentary like a, an amazing one I saw called For Sama, which was which is set in the Syrian war, those things don't cost millions to make. It's a documentary edited from news footage. It looks realistic because it's real footage. Like video games have this kind of hill to climb to get to a place where you can even tackle a subject like this that means they ha kind of have to have an audience. And, and they're probably, and like you say, Batch, like, and I wouldn't limit it to just America. I think there's plenty of people in Britain and, and probably elsewhere in Europe who, 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 who think, think and feel exactly the same way. But to kind of return an investment of the, size, of the scale that you need to make in a game like this, can you make it about uh, Iraqi civilians? Uh, probably not. You know, you, you'd have to say. I don't see the problem here. They're devoted to telling the real story and doing justice to the, the Battle of Fallujah until it costs them a single second. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, what, what's what's the problem? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Sorry, I must have missed that part of the interview. You know, <laughs> we're, we're dedicated to doing a documentary about Battle of Fallujah that does not engage with the politics or the war crimes or the human rights abuses at all. But it's definitely a documentary. <laughs> it just doesn't document those. You know, bits. if if you take away the the war crimes, the atrocities, the politics. There's, there's just a really nice heartwarming story in here. Oh, man. Yeah. It's just two guys having a bit of a roughhouse, you know, like it's, um, I don't, yeah. I, it's a difficult one because, you know, you like, I, and I, it, it's worth saying this, like uh, whenever we have cause to kind of question the motives of companies and, and like developers as like enter, uh, corporate entities, right? You, you do end up, there are people who are just working hard on these products and doing good work on these products. They're doing their jobs well. And, and it's not really their fault that there's misguided thinking underpinning them. But, I mean, I, I, yeah. It, but it's rare to find a game that, that seems to be going in such an egregiously wrong direction. And just that, and when, when, when you even ask them for the justification, it just seems to be so oblivious to it. I mean, I, Batch, I know we're going on in this session, but I recall what you posted, I mean, about, you asked... You asked him, what did you ask Tampty? Sorry, I'm, I'm going to stumble over this. But you asked Tampty to kind of justify why he, he doesn't see it as like an action game. It's more like a puzzle game. And I think it, the idea being that this isn't just going to be a big dumb shooter, right? That this is going to be something more than that. And then we use a transcription app called otter.ai, which I mean is, is pretty accurate, I would say. Like it, it, I don't think that it's getting any words wrong here. But as you said, it, it really exposes... Because it picks up every re repeated word, every stumble, it really exposes when someone is really struggling to answer a question. And I think that the, the question was, I mean, you, you go, Batch. I'm, I'm, I'm just loading it up as we speak. Bear with me. I, I like the idea that uh, making it a puzzle game is better because like a puzzle game with its set pieces and rules and stuff like that seems like the most dehumanizing possible way to interpret human conflict we're just going to abstract it out and you're playing <laughs> yeah, right. chess or checkers against people yeah but yeah particularly when um just while batch finds the the quote i mean on the wicked i mean again wikipedia i mean it's i i think has evolved into being a fairly reliable resource and it has its has its critics but um uh, according to the organization for the prohibition of chemical weapons white phosphorus is permitted under the chemical weapons convention if it is used to illuminate a battlefield or to produce smoke 
but white phosphorus is a banned chemical weapon if it's toxic and caustic properties are used intentionally and it's used in this manner constitutes a war crime. And apparently, a US Army captain present at the battle made it clear that white phosphorus was used against insurgents in situations where conventional munitions did not have the desired effects. So effectively, to this US Army captain, <laughs> this was a, a good solution to the puzzle of how to... Uh, to win the battle, you know, so that's, that's kind of, yeah, so to your point, Brendan, like that is, it is very dehumanizing to even look at it that way, but back, sorry, continue. Yeah, so yeah. the section I think you're referring to is, he was going on about how 90% of the, the challenges you face in the game are going to be tactical challenges, which already suggests that the only 10% of the game is the Iraqi civilian bit we were talking about earlier, and he was going about tactical challenges, it's going to be about, it's not just, um, you know, running and gunning like you do in Call of Duty. It's going to be tactical challenges. You have to think about how you're going to you know, survive each situation using the tool set at your disposal. To which I replied, you say tactical challenges, but um, tactical challenge could just be there are four guys on the other side of the room and the tool set is I have a gun. Um, what do you, and he replied, he replied, and this is word for word thanks to Otter AI, Hadn't thought about that. They, you know, now that you say it that way, but you're right. That's exactly right. So, um, yeah, yeah. Boy, we're getting into features now. And he did say several times he doesn't want to talk about features, which is daft when you're talking about a game which is packed with features. Like, you should be able to be able to just talk about your game. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, yeah, that's, 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 that's the challenge. But I guess what I can say is that the, in the, yeah, I guess there's, there's, let me, let me, let me put that one out. Here's what I can say. Here's what I can say. I think that in, 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 why not from the stories we've heard over and over and over in real combat, real combat depends on, and then he went on about how that is where he starts answering the question. He basically says combat and tactical challenges depend on working as teams and most people in games you're playing on your own. And that isn't actually what I asked him, but I was running out of that time at this point and I had a lot of other things to ask him about, but yeah, that was a mess. (laughs) Well, so in, but even even there, like that's effectively the pitch for Gearbox's brother and his brothers in arms, which was a game series that came out fifteen years ago. So again, we're not we're not really doing too much new there. Like I, I'm, or I guess full I'm full spectrum con- warrior. Yeah, or full spectrum warrior. Exactly. I'm conscious of the fact that we are effectively just uh, giving this game a shoeing now. We've probably made our point, but um, I, I don't know. I, I hope people listening. I'm sure there are plenty of people that that don't have such a. Um, a baseline ethical issue with with uh, depicting that particular war and that particular battle in that particular war and i think it's fair to say that we probably all are sensitive in a way in that way on 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 this podcast and and probably on the whole team so yes this is going to seem like a bit of a one-sided look at it but that that's a reflection i'm sure of of how we individually feel about this subject and um, that can't be avoided but I don't think the fact that we're all kind of singing from the same hymn sheet here kind of devalues this this position that we're taking, which is that game developers just need to exercise some responsibility. And I feel like we're probably going to see this game come what may. And um, uh, I struggle to see how we can be proved completely wrong by the product because I think there's issues on a very fundamental level with how they're thinking about it. But it would be lovely for to get a game that does deal with both sides three sides, US side, Iraqi military side and the civilian side and gives them all an equal airing and isn't just another exercise in showing, you know, courageous US soldiers working together to solve the problem of how to kill people. Um, My biggest fear with this is that as they put together their marketing campaign, uh, they'll look at like a few weeks before launch and just, you know, like, oh, you know, if we do some more interviews and say some really, really dumb stuff, we might be another front in the cancel culture war. Won't that be fun? Mm. So, so <laughs> please don't do that. Yeah. No, don't do that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, well, they could just go on like the Joe Rogan podcast, couldn't they? And then just build their audience that way. So if you if you lean if you lean into the into the right side of politics hard enough, you can end up with an audience. So. The 
other news story this week, and this is a hard swing we have to acknowledge, is the 35th anniversary of the Zelda franchise. Uh, something we are acknowledging, and much of the press are acknowledging, but Nintendo has yet to do so. Um, I thought I'd bring this up because, uh, Matt, you kind of mentioned something in um, emails, and it ties into a theory you presented on a previous episode of the podcast. Um, the disconnect between how well Zelda games review... And whether or not people actually think they're any good. And we saw this kind of typified by... Well, yeah. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll challenge that after you finish. I'll challenge that after you finish. We saw that kind of typified by the most recent Nintendo Direct where they announced Skyward Sword HD is coming to Switch. Uh, this is the motion-controlled uh, Zelda adventure that was out, released on the Wii. It has a Metacritic score of 93, not the highest in the series, but certainly not a low score. And yet, as soon as they announced this, the amount of uh, people in my Twitter timeline that were just, including myself, I have to confess, that were decrying the game as the worst entry in the series and generally something that many people view to be terrible. I don't. I just view it not to be good enough. Um, I, just, I just thought it'd be interesting to talk about like how how interesting, like, how, how renowned this series is. Um and this this kind of this almost unconditional love that people have for it, even when it's not at its best. Well, I'll clear I'll clear it up because I wasn't um, I'm not meaning to suggest that Zelda is not good. It's clearly good when it's good. It's mm. it's it's uh, it's as good as games get. I I, I see that. The, the the thing that the thing that I was responding to was what you just pointed out, right? That the the Skyward Sword. Um, HD re, re, remaster remake whatever the hell it, hell it actually is was announced and it just seemed to be like the vast majority of people seemed to think that this was at the very least a disappointing game um, and uh, at worst not even a particularly good game and it's really abundantly clear like literally nobody said that when it came out <laughs> so I, and, and I just wonder about why I suppose because I'm not not like a Nintendo fan exactly like I I love the games when they're good I find a lot of nin- Nintendo games to be quite repetitive I, I find that um, Nintendo does is sort of given a pass to kind of reuse concepts and ideas in a way that, that other developers probably wouldn't be given similar free pass because there is a nostalgia to it and there's a familiarity to it which is part of like the, the identity of the company but obviously they can put out games like Mario Odyssey which are just breathless invention Mario Galaxy breathless invention all great right but um, I wasn't really making a broader point about Zelda, about Zelda as a whole it was more that what, what I don't even know if this is worth a podcast segment, to be honest, because I, I don't have a strong opinion <laughs> on Skyward Sword. But like, how can a game get 93 Metacritic average when it gets released and then, you know, seven years later, everybody pretty much agrees that it's not very good? This just doesn't happen. Uh, so, so one thing, because uh, it did get like a, a 93 average, uh, Skyward Sword did a Metacritic average. So, yes, lots of people loved it, but like it was not... Uh, Universal, uh, I, I know because uh, one of my friends, uh, Tom McShay, reviewed it for GameSpot. He gave it a 7.5 out of 10. And he caught such flack from from the Zelda fan base uh, for this. And the thing was, like, he was not alone. Uh, Kat Bailey, former US gamer EIC, she reviewed it for GamePro. And, and she, in, in her review, she actually gave it four out of five stars, but, but said like, she identified the problems that we all kind of like hear about now with Skyward Sword about overly hold hand, uh, hand holding takes too long to get going. Doesn't really give the player much freedom. And she said, Zelda should be going back to its roots and becoming less linear rather than more so. And one of the things that I love, um, is before Skyward Sword came out, uh, I, from a 10 years ago this month column I, I wrote about a while ago, uh, Shigeru Miyamoto was was hyping up the game, saying, I think this game will be remembered as a key turning point in Zelda's history. <laughs> the game comes out, there are reviews like Cats and, and Tom McShay's, and there are people on forums that are correctly identifying, like, you know, the, the same kind of... Th- I say correctly, it's subjective, but you know, they're, they're identifying the same complaints that people have with the game now. Um, and then the series producer, E.G. Aonuma in, in 2016, when, uh, when he had started doing interviews and such to, to hype breath of the wild, he said that 
the the open world approach and and the way it just kind of gets you right into the game was fundamentally a response to the criticisms levied at Skyward Sword. And I I think for a lot of reviewers, for for a lot of gamers cuz we're people and marketing affects us, the the hype for a game and the constant, you know, messaging of this is a big deal. This is super important. These are brilliant creators behind it, adding a new chapter to the legacy of the storied franchise and all that. Like that, that has an impact on people. And and when you're when you're caught up in the excitement of a new release like that, I think it's not not unusual to to maybe overestimate how enduring your your joy of that experience will will be. So this happens with with games routinely, I think, that five years down the road, what seemed like such a huge deal is just kind of like a, oh, yeah, yeah I guess that was pretty good. It's worth remembering there was there was particularly... So I, I am a big Zelda fan, and I absolutely got suckered in by that marketing. But like there was a particular emphasis on this one because it was the 25th anniversary game. So that was a big deal. And they went huge on Zelda at the time. There was the orchestral concerts. There was you know, a big celebration of the franchise. It was the first proper Zelda for Wii because Twilight Princess was a GameCube game that got ported and therefore didn't quite feel like it was built specifically for the Wii. Not only that, it was um, built for the Wii Motion Plus, a add-on that honestly Nintendo struggled to to justify because i think the only one the only game i can remember that used it was um i had wii sports resort red steel 2 used it but beyond that i can't remember many so it was like right this is the one that that justifies your wii motion plus purchase even silly things like if you're a fanboy like this was like this is the this is now the first game in the series like there was this is prior to the whole confusion of the timeline in fact no this may have been where they cleared up the confusion of the timeline is in in terms of what order the games go in it's like right this is the first one this is one where this is the prequel essentially where we learn the origins of everything in the series so there was a lot of hype and emphasis put on it and that it just didn't live up to that purely because of or primarily because of the the lack of exploration in the overworld so um due to publish Earlier today, and I'm saying today in terms of Tuesday, the day that this podcast comes out, earlier today, I am aiming to publish uh, my feature on the 35th anniversary of Zelda. And we and I explore, and I talk to um, Zelda experts and other developers about what it is about the Zelda series that people love, what it is about the Zelda series that's been that's made it so successful. And it goes back to that original NES game, which was the sense of exploration. Like this NES game that let you, you could explore almost the entire open world map from the from the very beginning there were no kind of there weren't there were very few gates or anything there were no kind of right you must do this level and then this level you could just explore at your own place explore in your own order you could do the dungeons in any order you wanted that level of freedom is what people loved about the original that level of freedom or that the sense of that level of freedom is what people have loved about things like Ocarina and Twilight Princess, which are the other two best-selling um, entries in the series. Skyward Sword removed that. You were either you there was very little to do if you weren't pushing on with the main quest, and they went the complete different way with Breath of the Wild, where you could do literally anything but the main quest and find plenty to do. But Skyward Sword was very much no. You are they removed the interconnected freedom between the different dungeons and puzzle sections, and it was just a linear sequence of this is the next bit you have to do, and that's where, where it all kind of fell apart. For me, the most recent disappointment of uh, Skyward Sword, it was, it, was, it was in the Nintendo Direct, and they did not acknowledge the 35th anniversary at all. All we got from Zelda was that Breath of the Wild 2 is still in development, don't worry, it's progressing nicely, which to me sounds like it's not coming this Christmas, because we would show it to you by now, but unless maybe they'll show it at, at um, E3, and then they showed, showed Skyward Sword. But, Beyond that, there was quite a lot to look at at the um, Nintendo Direct. Did everyone catch it? I have to. I, I was off this week, but I still was sad enough to sit down and watch it. So, well, did you guys I think, catch it? I think potentially. I mean, well, one the, the thing I came away from, and I'm going to underline again. I, despite Batch's fairly damning introduction of my idea, but I, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not like an anti-Zelda guy. Like I, I was aware at the time that there was a disconnect between reviews of the game. Like as Brent says, at the time there was there was a disconnect between reviews of the game and, and general conversation about the game. There was a sense that, that it was being reviewed quite generously. But I think that one of the reasons why it struck me that one of the reasons why there was there were people 
being very vocally disappointed about the news around Skyward Sword and voicing their opinions on, on what they really thought of the game and, and where it stood in the whole Zelda pantheon was because they were expecting something more that they didn't end up getting. And so it was like we were expecting, you know, a video of Breath of Wild 2 and a remake of Ocarina of Time and all we get is a remake of the worst Zelda game or the Zelda game that nobody likes. And that was when I was like, oh, hang on. Lots of people like this game. So what? what's the difference now? And the way it, way it struck me, I mean, beyond the fact that there is a tendency, at least there was, particularly around Skyward Sword, I think I might have written a critical consensus of it, but, but people were like, oh, you know, the... What Breath of the Wild was, I think people want. People were kind of projecting that a little bit onto Skyward Sword, talking about its structural changes, which actually rubbed up a lot of people in the wrong way and took that as innovation when actually it was just a bit of a misjudgment. You got that in Breath of the Wild. Um, so kind of seeing what, what now on reflection uh, looks like, the point at which the Zelda series realised where it had gone wrong. Let's call it like... Resident Evil 6, right, where the series is like, oh, wait, we've gone too far down the wrong path. Maybe we need to rethink. And then you get Resident Evil 7, which is great. Breath of the Wild, somewhat similar reaction to Skyward Sword. I, I think that's kind of taken as, a, as a, a fairly convincing narrative now. But people just wanted, we just finished Mario's anniversary year. People wanted, I think, to see something big and substantial that could kind of rival or match what we just had for Mario. And they really didn't get it. Is that... Does that make sense? Well, we first we first heard about Mario's anniversary stuff in like August, right? Where they had a big Mario specific 35th anniversary Nintendo Direct with 3D All Stars coming out like three weeks after that. Um, I don't I don't remember hearing a lot about the Mario 35th before that, not from Nintendo proper. So there's a lot of the year left, and um, Video Games Chronicle has, has said that uh, they've heard. Twilight Princess and Wind Waker ports are in are in the works. So like I'm I'm not I'm not expecting that Nintendo has just forgotten about Zelda's 35th <laughs> anniversary. I think if they didn't mention it in relation to Skyward Sword, it's because they have a lot more planned and expecting them to show it all in February is um I don't know. I think some people might have had their their hopes unrealistically high. Yeah, I think it was the first direct since September 2019 and apparently four months since the last mini direct thingy. Um, so especially since it was the first direct for a long, long time, I think there were very high expectations. And I don't think anyone expected to have a proper look at Breath of the Wild 2, for instance, or like a proper Zelda anniversary thing. But the fact they didn't even mention it. I, I guess did feel a bit odd to me, um, but you, yeah, I didn't realize they didn't mention the Mario anniversary uh, until August um, last year, so that's something to keep in mind for sure. But yeah, it's it's a weird one because I felt like there was a lot in this direct. Like they did announce a lot of stuff. Uh, whether it was interesting or not, I guess it's it's personal taste as well. I it was very much focused on like JRPGs and stuff like that, which is not personally something. I like so there's that but even apart from that there was a bunch of good stuff but I feel it's for a long time you could say oh this game is re-releasing on switch and people would go crazy for it you know and I feel like this is done now what's happened oh it's Chris hi Chris <laughs> and I feel like now it's not enough to say oh this game is being ported to switch or this game is being re-released re on switch um like they announced that tales of the borderlands was going to launch on switch in march and like that's a fantastic game but it's also a game from 2014 like at some point you need a bit more than that to get me excited and i felt like most of the direct was that like the fact they started they opened the direct with yet another sword fighter for smash bros like enough with the swords fighters and smash bros like at least if you want to do a Smash Bros. things, just give us Waluigi already. But I don't know, it felt from the get-go, it felt like, okay, fine, is, is this going to be like this then? Okay. So I don't know, there was a lot of stuff in there. I'm 100% going to buy most of the games that were presented in there, apart from the JRPGs. But I don't know, I felt at this point people want Breath of the Wild 2. They want Metroid and like, I don't know. I personally haven't used my Switch apart from, I mean, that's not true because now... 3D World and Bowser's Fury is out, so I've been playing my Switch. But before that, I've only touched my Switch to play like Animal Crossing a couple of hours here and there, and Ring Thicken Adventure, and that's it. And like, I think I'm not the only one who's just waiting for the next big thing. 
and who just wants to like a meaty first party Nintendo game. And also it's the 25th anniversary of Pokemon, so I hope they're going to do a Nintendo Direct, a uh, Pokemon Direct. Yeah, there'll definitely be a Pokemon Direct. I think the the Direct was okay. As, as you said, Marie, like there was plenty on offer, but whether or not that was interesting was very subjective. I have to say, like the only thing that appealed to me there was a Project Triangle strategy. And even then, I know it's it's not necessarily something I'm gonna I'm gonna buy. It's just like, ah, that looks interesting. But it was it was always they they said from the beginning this was gonna be a Nintendo Direct focused on games that are just in the first half of 2021. Now the impact of the pandemic means that development and everything for for certain things are slower that might be why we haven't seen the the twilight princess and wind hd ports or anything else like yeah the the impact of the pandemic means the development is going to be slower means that slates are going to be lighter what the hope is that they've got more coming in the second half of the year um and they teased a couple of 2022 games as well the hope is that more is going to be coming in the second half of the year i think it was just yeah it's, the amount of memes and, and tweets i saw snarky tweets i saw like the, the, the nintendo direct cycle is they announce it hype builds up people expect breath of the wild 2 metro prime 4 new insert fan favorite franchise that hasn't been seen in a while here um then it comes out, everyone's disappointed, everyone's heartbroken, everyone decries the fact that Nintendo just don't listen, and then they announce another direct in a few months and everyone will get excited again. So it's just it's, it's just it's the Sonic cycle, only people actually buy these things. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh Nintendo. Go on, Chris. You you've you've slid in, so you might as well have your say. <laughs> um, um I am I was a bit um underwhelmed by the direct. Um, but uh, it was a February direct, sort of what you get. Um, a lot of stuff, uh, a lot of JRPGs. There's quite some big third party games in there. Um, Skyward Sword, um, you know, we're going to get that. Uh, it's, it's, I think there's a Pokemon event this weekend, so there's going to be some Pokemon stuff announced that, I think. There's plenty of stuff coming. Actually, Nintendo have a game out every. It's also remember that in the first half of the year, Nintendo already have two event sized launches in the Mario game they just released and Monster Hunter next month. And Monster Hunter is Capcom's most successful. Last Monster Hunter game was Capcom's biggest ever game, did almost 16 million copies. And this is an exclusive Switch one, so it's pretty. It's a pretty mega launch, really. Um, and so, and yeah, I was a bit, you know, I was hoping for a. Some, something to really appeal to my Nintendo nerd, like a Zelda collection or something. But, you know, the Mario event is still going on. Um, you know, it was a bit disappointing. It was a bit long. There was a lot of stuff in there that was a bit meh. But um, Nintendo have about 30-odd games coming out over the next couple of months. Whereas if you look at you look at the release schedule from any other platform, and it's dire, uh, it's really poor. Um, PlayStation have a couple. Um, so it's just, I think it's just the state of things at the minute. But... Those games will come. Is it that the release slates are really, really thin, or is it that people are reluctant to announce release dates uh, far in advance because they are worried about actually meeting? Well, them? Yeah, that's that's a bit of truth um, because uh, they're not announcing they're announcing things um, closer to launch. But if you even if you look at like March, Monster Hunter is probably the biggest game of March. There's no major EA title. There's no big Ubisoft title this year. They're all missing. Um, April, I think the biggest game actually genuinely is Pokemon Snap oh, and Returnal on PS5. That's a whole of April. May gets a bit better. You've got uh, that Deathloop game from Bethesda and Resident Evil Village. June, there's Ratchet and Clank um, and Mario Golf. July, it's Zelda. That is the that is the lineup that we've got coming up. Um, there are, I missed out a few, you know, sort of interesting games in there. But those are like the big, they're the other ones that might top the charts, you know. And um it is a really slight slate. Oddly, I think Capcom is the most, it's got the biggest games of the first half of the year, which when you think about, that's quite a small publisher. It's a pretty big um, thing for them. But uh, it is, you know, it is a really, I mean, I don't, I'm looking, I'm going to, I have to do these weekly charts every Sunday, or, well, I shouldn't do them Sunday, Monday morning, I've got to do the weekly charts. And I've, it's going to be, it's Animal Crossing, it's FIFA, it's, it's going to be the same games for the next five or six weeks, at least, I should think. Um, until Monster Hunter comes out and then it will be Monster Hunter for a couple of weeks and yeah so it, it's going to be um, it, is, it, is, it is light out there in terms of new game launches
that is all we've got time for this week we'll be back next week with your usual weekly news show in the meantime you can find all previous podcasts on uh, the podcasting platform of your choice including our spin-off series the game developers playlist and five games of couple new entries for those coming up soon in the meantime you can find all the news insight and analysis into the world behind video games that you could ever need at gamesindustry.biz Music